Okay, so we got to watch Acton play basketball again yesterday. It's always a lot of fun. And to be honest, he's not in here, right? So they played a team that was bigger than them, faster than them, better than them. And it looked like they were going to get clobbered first quarter, but they played so hard. With about two minutes to go, Acton hit one from the left side, banked it in, and won. And it looked like he could pull us in within two points. He missed the free throw. It was okay. We got beat by four points. But it was an amazing game. And, you know, there was some grumbling about the loss and some grumbling about the officiating and all that. But when it was over, the coach came zipping across the, uh, the, the gymnasium, and he got in front of all the fans, started running up and down, clapping. Did those kids play hard? Did those kids play hard? And we're all clapping for the kids. And he said, let me tell you something else. Across the ocean right now, men, women, and children are dying. And we got to come into this gymnasium and watch our kids and our grandkids play basketball in peace. What a great God. And we all started cheering. And there was no grumbling. Not about the officials or the loss. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can become blameless, pure children of God without fault in a crooked and deprived generation in which you shine like the stars in the universe. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Now, we brought this up in a sermon two or three weeks ago as one of our points, and, and if you weren't here for that, I don't know how long it's been since you've read this text, but I know you've read it, so I'm going to ask you, how's that going for you? Doing everything without grumbling or arguing. Are you pulling that off? I mean, let's think about the word everything. Do you think Paul really means everything? <laughs> Do everything? I mean, is he kidding? Is he serious? Has he thought this thing through? Or is he just doing what my mom said I used to do, just talking to hear himself talk? I think he's serious. I think he's real serious. And if he's serious, then what can we do about that? What I was thinking, what if we could just declare tomorrow a no grumbling day? Just one day. No arguing, no grumbling tomorrow. Now, we probably can't do it today because if you're like me, we've probably already done some of it. So tomorrow, we're not going to gripe. We're not going to complain. We're not going to argue all day. One day. Are you pumped? Let's do it. I think we can do one day. Tomorrow, when you get up, the first person you see, no grumbling, even if you haven't had your coffee yet. I was talking to Adam Goss about this last week, and he said, I'll admit some mornings I wake up grumpy. Other mornings, I let her sleep in. Now, okay, <laughs> the first person you see in the morning, when you walk to the bathroom in the morning, and the first thing you do is look at yourself in the mirror, no grumbling. That's going to be tough for some of you. I was thinking about Dennis, Melvin. I mean, pray through that. You can make it, okay? Do it tomorrow. When you get in the car to go to work or school tomorrow, no matter what kind of shape your car's in, no grumbling. If you have to walk, take the bus. When you get to your desk at school at work, no grumbling. When you get home tomorrow and you sit down to eat, no matter what they put in front of you to eat, no grumbling. You're thankful for that. When, uh, when you run into that cranky person tomorrow, or the problems come along because they're coming, no grumbling. Just tomorrow, one day. Tomorrow when you turn on your computer and it takes 15 to 20 seconds for thing that, you've got to wait 20 seconds to have all the knowledge of the universe at your fingers. It's maddening to have to wait. Tomorrow you're going to wait without grumbling. You lose cell phone service. For two miles. What a burden. That's heavy, man. I know. Tomorrow we're going to do that without grumbling. When you can't find the TV remote control because one of the grandkids has had it, and you actually have to get up and walk all the way across the living room and find a button on the flat screen TV. There is an on and off button there. And turn it on like the old timers and then walk all the way back to your lazy boy. Tomorrow, one day, we're not going to grumble, right? One day we can do it. I know we can do it. Here's point number one this morning. I want to talk about grumbling. What it is 
and how bad it is. I'm not talking about confronting somebody in love. We're commanded to do that. I'm not talking about if you've got a problem, uh, somebody's ripping you off some business and you can't get them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about grumbling, and I think most of us know the difference. I think what sometimes we fail to see is how bad it is. Grumbling, uh, for one thing, is a reflection of the spirit of ingratitude. And listen to me, there should be not one Christian on this planet that has a spirit of ingratitude, ever. We've just been talking about what we have in Christ, the joy we have in Jesus Christ. Grumbling is a way to rationalize disobedience to God. It, It clouds our vision. It chokes our heart. It cuts us off from the joy we've been talking about. And, and it does something to us in little places like, like families and friendships and small groups and life groups and church groups. It's toxic. Ingratitude is toxic. It's, it's like a relational cancer. It's so contagious. You read through the book of Numbers and you'll see how many times the, it talks about the Israelites grumbling. It started with a few and then the whole nation's grumbling. And, and you're looking at it, it's always bad and you're thinking, how in the world could that happen? God's just uh, released these people from oppression. He's feeding them, hand-feeding them from heaven. And they're griping because they didn't get the right food. And they're griping because they didn't get enough water. And you're thinking, for crying out loud, how can so- thank God we never do that. Thank God we never take the best that he's got to give us and then grumble about it. Thank you, I don't do that. I'm so sorry I do that. I'm so sorry. He's given us so much. I'm telling you, the sin of ingratitude, God takes very serious, and it's one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Write this down and watch it happen, family. When hearts start to get darkened and there's foolish thoughts and they become futile, you're going to find ingratitude in that picture every time. It's infectious. Paul said, told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, he told them the same thing, and then he warned them what happened to Israel. He said, don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the avenging angel. Killed, as in dead. I'm talking about dirt nap city for grumbling. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me. And it also points out that Paul's taking this very seriously. We've been talking about happiness and joy for two or three weeks now. And I'm telling you, if you can get rid of the spirit of ingratitude, it'll go a long way to making that happen in your life. But the only way you and I are going to make this happen, even for a day, is from the inside out. We've got to be thinking about what we have in Jesus Christ. And it's like Dallas Willard says, this has got to be more than just a, a hallmark good feeling. This has got to be someplace where we humbly say, I owe God and I will never, ever, ever, ever be able to pay him back. Not for this life or eternal life. And because of that, I intend to go through my life humbly and with a fierce appreciation for everything he's given me. And I'm going to be generous, just like we talked about last week. Now I realize everybody in here wants to be grateful. Nobody wants to be ungrateful poop. You know what I mean? So we got to figure out how we're going to, can I say poop from over? we got to realize how we're going to get that done, you know what I mean? Because we're not going to drift into this. we got to work at it. We shouldn't have to work in it, but we do. One of the reasons why this is such hard work is that if we're not careful, we do the same thing with gratitude that we did with happiness. Remember uh, John Ortberg talked about the happiness paradox? It's the same thing with gratitude. We get to a place where we say, well, sure, I'll be grateful when I get everything I want, when my debts are paid. When I want something, I get it. 
when everything's working out for me, when God takes care of everything I ask him to take care of, duh, of course I'm going to be grateful. Let me ask you something. Parents and grandparents, have you ever used that formula to raise one of your kids? And if you have, how'd that work out? Anything you want, babe, anytime you want, I'm going to make sure you get it instantly. What do we call kids that grow up that way? Come on. Spoiled rotten, which is an interesting phrase. It's a type of fruit that's rotten. It's not good for anything. As it turns out, as it turns out, increased gratitude does not come from increased gratification. We have messed that up big time with ourselves and our kids. It's the other way around. In fact, Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like the stars of the universe. I mean, does that sound like a good day? Who doesn't want that to happen? So it turns out it's just like happiness. It doesn't have anything to do with the stuff we get. It, be, it's, it has everything to do with the people we're becoming, our character. That's what's going on with Paul in this entire book of Philippians. He had received a gift from him, and he was thanking. This is a thank you note. So the next time you're talking to your kids about the importance of writing a thank you for a graduation gift or a birthday card or something, remind them that we wouldn't have one of the greatest books in the New Testament if the Apostle Paul hadn't taken time out to write a thank you note to the church of Philippi, because that's what this is. And he doesn't waste it. Such a teachable moment. He, he wants them to understand where his deep gratitude comes from. Chapter 4, verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned, oh my goodness, I wish I could learn this. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> whatever the circumstances. Whether I'm in need or in plenty. Well fed or hungry. I've found a way to be content in every circumstance. What is it, Paul? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I found it. I've learned it. it you got to learn this. You got to practice this. It doesn't come easy. I, I learned how to shoot a free throw. I learned how to eat with chopsticks. I learned how to get a cat out of my yard. Praise God. You see what I'm talking about? I learned this, which brings us to one of the greatest paradoxes, I think, of gratitude. And when I say this, most of you are going to nod because you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. It's the funniest thing. But it seems like the people who have the most are the less grateful, and the people who have the least are the most grateful. It's the funniest thing. Sean Anker is a leading researcher in the field of happiness. He did a study on this. He uh, spent some time researching the kids at Harvard, you know, the top, the elite. And when he was done, he was asked to speak to a group in South Africa in the township of uh, uh, Rosito. And when he got there, no electricity, no running water. I mean, unbelievable desperate poverty. And it occurred to him, I can't share with these kids what I've shared with the kids at Harvard because they're not, you know, they're not going to, no way they can connect. So he thought he'd talk about something that every kid hated. He started talking about homework. And he said, raise your hand in here if you love homework. And he said he was shocked. 95% of those kids put their hands up. And he said, they, they meant, they were beaming. They weren't being facetious. We love homework. This is great. And he said, the more I talked, the more I realized, here you've got the best of the best in Harvard, the, the cream of the crop, the elite that have all the advantages, and they can't stand homework. Oh, what a pressure. Oh, my goodness, so much stress. I've got to take a test. I've got to write a paper. And then you've got these kids over here that, in comparison, have absolutely nothing. Some of them wonder if they're going to have enough food to eat to grow up. And they'll say, homework? We love homework. Oh my goodness, we get to read, we get to study, we get to write papers, we get to take tests to see if we learn what we got. This might open huge doors of opportunity. Yay, me, I get homework. He said it was crazy to look at that. 
Here's a study done out west of a very large group of people on this whole business of gratitude and age groups. It's interesting. The correlation between age and gratification. Anybody want to know which way that goes? Yeah. The older the person, the more gratification. It doesn't make any sense at all. The more the wrinkles, grayer the hair, flabber the tummy, you know. The, more th- the less things are working in your body, the happier these. In fact, it was a study of 2,000 people, and the happiest group were 70 years and older, which is interesting to me because I'll be there in 20 or 30 years. <laughs> oh, now you laugh, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> in this group, people who stopped going to school when they graduated high school had more daily gratification than people who got advanced degrees. In this group now, the study group, People who had more money had less daily gratification than people who had less money. It's the strangest thing, especially in the society we're living in. It doesn't make any sense at all. The more people had, the less grateful they were. The less they had, the more grateful they were. Something's messed up, isn't it? Yeah, it's called sin. Straight up. We were waiting in line to get in. It's a small world after all. A couple years ago. That's why I reminded the song last week. And uh, I've just got to tell you, when I wait in line, I'm not normally grateful. I feel entitled not to have to wait in line, especially on vacation. I've worked hard, I'm busy, I, you know, and I'm on vacation. I shouldn't have to wait in line. Uh, I'm, now, listen, I'm too polished a person to say that out loud, but it's going on in my heart. Am I the only one in there? I'm talking about lying next week. You better get them up. You know what I'm saying? So I'm wait, we're waiting to get in line. It's hot. It's going on. And I'm looking to the left side, and it's the fast pass lane. I hate the fast pass. I don't even like being in the fast pass. People just sipping past me. And I'm feeling like my rights are being violated with all these people passing. And I'm getting madder and madder. And I look over to my right. And coming around the corner is this mother with about a 12-year-old girl in a wheelchair. And I watched her. And as long as I watched her, about the only thing she moved was her head. And I got to thinking about all the things in my body that work. And I just take that for granted, and I get up every morning, and I got to thinking if by some miracle this little girl could stand in line one time, she'd be thrilled. It sobers me, and it should. And we have people in this church that have disabilities, that are in pain, that are suffering from loss, that have financial problems and marriage problems, and we have heroes in this church. I'm talking about heroes like the doubles and the Ramses. When I see that, I say, heroes. There's a heroes. I'm talking about people like Tom Williams and what him and his wife are doing. They're heroes. We got a lot of heroes in this church because they understand what's going on. It's the craziest thing. You, you can take two people and sit them in the same circumstances, same job, uh, same stuff, the same work, same uh, line, same whatever you want to put in there. And, and one person is grateful and, and the other person is ungrateful. And, and, and it's maddening. How's that work? Well, it's pretty obvious. One person sees all that as a gift and the other person sees it as an entitlement. And as long as you and I see the things we have as an entitlement, we're never going to be grateful. We've got to thank God for everything we have. We're blessed beyond anything we've ever seen. And gratitude means that we say to God, we intend to bless you and thank you and sing praises to you because we don't deserve anything you've given us. Now, the Israelites expressed, I think I've brought this up before, and I don't know. I'm getting old. Forgive me. But if I have, but 
I love the way they, they talked about and sang about Thanksgiving. And I was thinking about just one thing in, in eating. You know, when we sit down to eat, we just say a quick prayer. You know, uh, you know praise the meat, dang the skin, open the mouth and shove it in or something like that. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the one who eats the most, the fastest gets the most. Or, you know, something like that. We just say a goofy prayer and, and then we eat. The Israelites didn't do that. I mean, they'd stop and bless every Oh, thank you for these grapes. Thank you, God. What an amazing thing a grape is. Thank you for thinking that up. This is so sweet, so good. And then they bring the bread out. Oh, my goodness, bread. You're such a great God. You fought up carbs, and we get to eat bread. Thank you so much. And then they bring out something else, and, they, and then they bring out lasagna. Nothing. Listen, nobody thanks God for lasagna. Lasagna came from the fall in the Garden of Eden. We have no record in the Bible of anybody thanking God for lasagna or a cat. I thought I'd bring that up this morning. But you get my point. They blessed God for everything. They competed with each other. I thank God it's raining. Well, I thank God for every drop of rain. And that's the way it should be for us. We have more than any civilization in the history of mankind. And we have become the most entitled and grateful group of people in the history of mankind. And you and I have to change that because of who we are in Christ. Now, the classic example of that is in Luke chapter 17 in the New Testament, where the 10 lepers came to Jesus. Remember that? And, and they had to yell from a distance because it was such a nasty disease. But in verse 13, have mercy on us. Verse 14, it says, when he saw them, when Jesus saw them, he said, go and wash yourselves, uh, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God with a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where's the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now listen to me, I guarantee you that those other nine people, if you'd have stopped them on the street and said, hey, are you thankful to have your life back? Are you glad to be healed? Are you thankful you get to go home and be with your family again after all these years? Every one of them to a man would have said, yeah, we're grateful. Why didn't they say it? Which leads to number two, and I'm going to go real quick here. Having gratitude and not expressing gratitude, two different things. No, nobody in here wants to think they're ungrateful. I know that. I mean, we all know that we're sinners and liars and we're greedy and, you know, we cheat and we lust and all those come. But nobody in here wants to actually think they're ungrateful. But I'm just telling you, I want to remind you that when we don't express our gratitude to God and to each other, we're ungrateful. Andy Stanley says the problem is people in your life express gratitude, they see unexpressed gratitude as ingratitude. People around you, especially marriages and family, spouses and friends, they do you a favor, they fix you a meal, they run an errand for you, and somebody asks you about it, you say, of course, I feel grateful. But you don't tell them you're grateful, they see that as ingratitude and rejection. Ten people got healed. One came back, and he was a Samaritan. And that's no coincidence. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. This guy realized there was no way on this planet that he should have got what he got. And he was so thankful, he went back and fell at Jesus' feet to thank him. Which leads to number three, and I'm going to get us right down here in just a minute. How about us? Are we part of the nine? Are we so busy and so important and so entitled that we don't have time to thank God and to thank each other? And to come here to do it. We ought to be thanking God. I thank God this morning. I got up. Are you kidding me? I woke up another day. And nobody's shelling my house. And I went out in the kitchen. I had food. Not only food, I had Cocoa Krispies. I've been looking for Cocoa Krispies for three months. They quit making them. I got them. Praise God, I don't deserve Cocoa Krispies. Are you kidding me? Clothes in my closet. 
water in the faucet. I thank God for my family. I've got the best preacher's wife that's ever walked a planet. And if you, if you don't know that, you know, you know, you know. I got dogs, no cats. I was born in Indiana, not Kentucky. I could have been in Kentucky and praise God, I'm a Hoosier. You know what I mean? I thank God for doctors and nurses and medicine and for people like Brady that can fix things and people like Eric Gilpin that can fix people and counselors and teachers and principals and all that kind of Thank you, God, for your word that I can read every day. Thank you that when I close my eyes for the last time and open them up, Jesus is going to be standing right there. I don't deserve that. Are you kidding me? Thank you. And then thank each other. You kids, you grandkids, you think you're self-made, you're killing yourself. Somebody spent a lot of time, money, and energy on you. That's your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, and you need to thank them. Thank them daily for what they've done for you. Gentlemen, most of you are going to be riding home today with your wife sitting next to you. Look them right in the eye and tell them what they mean to you. Thank them for what they've done. When you get ready to leave church today, you know, these people could have gone to any church they wanted to. They came here. What a body we have. Hug on each other and thank each other for that. And then come to this table. You know, I, one of the best illustrations I ever heard about communion, I, it was Bob Russell or Cam Huxford. It's been so long ago, I don't remember which one. But there were six men in a foxhole during World War II. And uh, somebody threw a grenade in a foxhole, and one of them jumped on a grenade and, of course, died Im- immediately, but saved all the other five. So about a year later, the war was over and they came home back to the States and the parents of this fallen soldier threw a party in his honor and invited all of these people to come. And one by one, they gave their excuses. Sorry, I can't make it. I, I stayed up too late last night watching a ball game. Thanks, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, thanks, man. I, I'm so glad you asked me, but we have a volleyball tournament this weekend. We have a basketball tournament. We got a wrestling tournament this week. We just can't make it. We can't possibly get there, but thanks. For, we're honored you asked us. Oh, we'd like to come, but, you know, some of those people don't wear a mask, and some of them haven't been vaccinated, and one by one, they gave their excuses. W- would that be you? You say, no, not on your life. If somebody gave their life for me and they threw a party and in their honor, I'd be there. Why, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. This is a party in your honor. Now, I don't do very good talking to the people at home. Jeremy's a lot better than than that. But I'm going to speak to you today, and I want you to be mad at me, okay? But it's time. You, you need to get back here. Jesus said, don't forsake the assembling yourself together. Jesus said, as often as you meet together, uh, you do this in remembrance of me. You, you need to be here. We need you here and you need to be here. We're in those times. You need to come back to the party in his honor where you're the guest. If you're here today and you've never been to the party, I have an invitation from Jesus right up here. You come and I'll talk to you about how to fill it out. The rest of you, we're not going to miss this.